Before we begin, don't forget that if you want to hear this episode ad-free, then sign up to our members channel. Just search for What's the Story Crime in Apple Podcasts or follow the link in our show notes. Members will get exclusive access to all episodes of Smoking Gun, completely ad-free, before anyone else. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The flurry of activity outside the generous Britain public house is somewhat unusual. We're in the quiet Nottinghamshire village of Costock, population of just a few hundred. And while the village pub is undoubtedly a focal point for the community, it's rare to see this much coming and going. Outside, a couple of work vans are parked up, doors open, blocking off the rest of the adjacent car park. From inside is the sound of drilling and hammering. The pub is going through a refurbishment, a refreshing of the interior. New carpet will be installed, hopefully a little less sticky and worn than the previous one. The bar will be repolished, with new stools to welcome the paying customers. And around every table sit some new chairs or benches, freshly upholstered. Who knows how long it'll be before they start to resemble the worn seating of old. To the right of the bar, through a single swing door, the workmen are busy plumbing and installing some new toilets. The pipework is old. The toilets themselves have seen better days. Time for a completely new installation. A pristine new set of toilets and urinals, all fitted neatly into position alongside fresh tiles and a new floor. Nobody would know that the pub is over a century old now. But the workmen who are fitting the toilets and the landlord overseeing their work Neither of them know that the work they're doing will unwittingly provide the evidence in a murder case. Their newly installed toilets, against all the odds, will one day preserve the clues which can help to identify a killer in one of the most complex investigations the UK has ever witnessed. My name is Romola Gary. 
and I'm an actress who's always been fascinated by how criminal cases are solved, the amazing processes that go on behind the scenes, and the clues that clinch the case. And my name is Tracy Alexander. I'm the president of the British Academy of Forensic Sciences. I've spent years inside these processes, searching for those clues. I've dedicated my career to using science to help the course of justice, and my work has ensured that hundreds of criminals have gone to prison and the wrongly accused go free. Together, we're going to lift the lid on some of the most extraordinary cases from around the world. We'll discover how, with the help of science, everyday items have become the key to catching a killer. From what's the story sounds, this is Smoking Gun, Series 2, Episode 18, The Toilet Tissue. Nottinghamshire sits in the middle of England, a county perhaps known best for being the home to Sherwood Forest and the legend of Robin Hood. It's a mix of rolling countryside and vibrant villages, a place where farmland fills the gaps between small towns and the city of Nottingham. It was here, in 1983, that our story truly begins, but it would take a lot longer for that story to be resolved. Colette Aram was just 16 years old, with dreams of becoming a hairdresser. She was, according to her family and friends, a typical young girl who enjoyed socialising, looking forward to her future, and was a liked member of her community in the village of Keyworth. It wasn't a busy place, not quite small enough where everyone knew everyone, but it was a community which would look out for its own, where people felt safe. Colette had a boyfriend who lived on the other side of the village, They'd regularly spend time at each other's homes and usually it would be him who picked her up in his car. But on this day, October the 30th, his car was off the road. So Colette decided she'd walk the one and a half miles to his house. The route was simple, setting off from Normanton Lane, turning right and walking up Nicker Hill. It was dark when she set off, shortly before 8pm. She'd spoken to her mother before she left reassuring her that she'd use the main roads for her route, rather than any time-saving shortcuts, and she confidently said she'd be just fine. So when Colette didn't arrive at her boyfriend's house in Willow Brook, there was immediate alarm. He telephoned Colette's house to see if she'd actually set off and what time, and once he knew she had, he and Colette's family stepped out into the night to look for her. Had she fallen? Been involved in an accident? Bumped into friends and lost track of time, there had to be a simple explanation. Except there wasn't. Those searches drew a blank. Walking all the way along Nicker Hill, there was no sign of Colette or any of her belongings. It was as if she vanished without a trace. Police were called at 10.30pm. And although it was only a couple of hours since Colette had left the house, they immediately treated the disappearance as a priority. Their tools were limited to manpower and sniffer dogs, and they deployed both along the route Colette had taken as well as any alternative routes she might have used. But they too found no sign of her. They did, however, find witnesses 
a group of friends of Colette's who'd been alerted during the search and who confirmed they'd seen her turning into Nicker Hill at about ten past eight. Colette had stopped to talk to them. She seemed in good spirits. There were no signs of anything untoward. Minutes later, a witness reported hearing a woman scream and the screech of tyres. But they couldn't be sure exactly where that noise had come from or if it was definitely Colette. This was a time before mobile phones and before CCTV. There was little else that the detectives and search teams could do beyond trawling the ground and speaking to anyone in the area. Colette's mum drove around and around, adrenaline pumping, fear gripping her. Every time someone appeared out of the nighttime gloom, her heart skipping a beat and hoping it would be Colette. There had to be an explanation. But the obvious one, that Colette had been the victim of a crime, was the one thing they didn't want to think about. Tragically, those worst fears would soon be answered. It was 9am the following morning, and Keyworth was only just waking up to the news of Colette's disappearance. It hadn't yet made the press or the TV bulletins, and it was word of mouth that was causing the story to spread. But while that was happening in the village, just outside in the fields and farmland that surround Keyworth, Colette's brother made a discovery. In a field, just off Thurlby Lane, a couple of miles from Colette's home, was a woman's naked body. She was clearly dead, but her brother didn't want to get too close. He went to raise the alarm and then stood by until police arrived. Detectives were soon on the scene and they could confirm that Colette had been strangled and likely sexually assaulted. And they assumed that she'd been kidnapped at some point during her walk along Nicker Hill before her body had been dumped at the location, away from prying eyes and overlooking houses. In fact, the killer might have assumed the body wouldn't be discovered for some time. The detectives would thank her brother for making the discovery so quickly. But that was no comfort for the rest of Colette's family, who were given the confirmed news a short while later. Nottinghamshire police now had a murder inquiry with little, admittedly, to go on. Colette had no enemies, she'd been in good spirits, and she was on her way to see her boyfriend. He was quizzed, as is the norm whenever a woman is murdered, and the police kept an open mind, but they didn't prioritise him as a suspect. After all, he didn't have access to a car, the whole reason Colette was walking to his house. And he'd telephoned Colette's family home not long after she was due to arrive at his. There didn't seem to be time for him to carry out a crime and dump her body and then carry on as normal. And there wasn't a motive either. But the police weren't blessed with other suspects. All they had was the witness who had heard a woman's scream and the screech of tyres. Perhaps that was significant. But all it told them was that the killer had been on four wheels. The first breakthrough came the following day with the discovery of a stolen red Ford Fiesta nearby. The car had been stolen earlier in the day before Colette's murder 
and it had been seen in Keyworth that evening. Could the car have been stolen and used by the killer? If so, it was a useful lead, but not one that could really help to identify him. But still, it was a start. In the days that followed, Colette's murder was the only topic of conversation. In the village and the wider area, everyone was talking about it. How awful it was. Who could have done this? The owners of a local horse riding centre had particular reason to show interest. Someone had broken into a shed on the day of Colette's murder and they'd been spotted apparently watching for people walking past. Was it the same man or just a peeping Tom? Had he been looking for a victim all day? At a nearby pub, the generous Britain in the village of Kostok, there was also plenty of discussion about the case. The pub was small, charming, with a flow of regular drinkers and usually just a handful of irregular ones. The drinkers and landlord tended to know all the familiar faces. So when they saw the news about a woman being murdered in nearby Keyworth, they thought back to the night of her disappearance. Was that the night? Yes, yes it was. A man had come into the pub quite late and ordered a pint of orange and lemonade and a sandwich. That was unusual, but what really stood out to the landlord was the man's appearance. As he picked up his drink, the landlord had noticed blood on his hand and his fingernails. The landlord had reacted in surprise and the man had then looked down and noticed the same thing and then shuffled off to the toilets to clean himself up. The significance of the blood hadn't been obvious right away. In hindsight, it might seem like an immediate sign of something sinister. But in rural Nottinghamshire, the man could have been a farmer or cut himself. Only with the news of a local girl's murder did the presence of a drinker with blood-stained hands become an altogether more frightening prospect. The patrons of the generous Britain discussed whether to call the police, and they agreed that they should. It might be nothing, but better to tell the cops than not. So they did just that, and their story was taken down by one of the many call handlers assigned to the case. By now, information was coming in from all directions, people sharing details they thought could be significant. And the pub sighting was just another one of those. So when officers attended the pub a day or two later to take a statement, they didn't hold out hope of finding any critical evidence. They heard the story, took down a description, checked the timings of the man's arrival at the pub, and agreed that the information was worthy, at the very least, of consideration. But it was what the landlord told them next which would provide the breakthrough. They explained that whilst the man was in the toilets, cleaning up his hands, he'd used toilet tissue to wipe away the blood. Lots of toilet tissue. And now that toilet tissue was apparently blocking the pipes. The detectives gave each other a look and immediately set about the grim task of retrieving the tissue from the toilet you bend. 
Sure enough, once the pipework had been dismantled, they found reams of tissue, much of it bloodstained. But also, on that tissue, they were able to detect another DNA sample, which they assumed belonged to their killer. 1983 was too early for complex DNA work. In fact, little was known about the power of DNA evidence and the unique profiles that we all have. But the detectives knew that the tissue and the things found on it could be significant. They were properly stored, tested and retained. At the very least, they knew their killer had been in a pub in Kostok within a couple of hours of Colette being abducted his crime apparently complete. Clues would be few and far between after that. A month later, the keys to the stolen car were discovered semi-buried in some groundworks. That didn't much help. Then, a letter arrived, addressed to the local police. A letter which claimed to be from Colette's killer. He boasted of how the police couldn't catch him, how he'd been wearing a Halloween mask on the night of the crime how he'd watched girls from a vantage point at the riding school before attacking Colette later in the evening. He finished his letter. No one knows what I look like. That is why you've not got me. I know I strangled her. I drove around and ended up at Keyworth. You will never get me. The letter made the police even more determined to catch the killer. They agreed that he was dangerous and it was likely only a matter of time before he would strike again. The letter itself was sent for testing, the handwriting analysed. Any clue that was present would surely be found and added to the picture they were building of the killer, but the only thing that officers gleaned from the note was that the killing appeared to be random. Colette was just in the wrong place at the worst possible time. Just as a dangerous man intent on committing a crime was searching for a victim. This wasn't her fault, of course. If she'd passed through just a few minutes before or after, things could have been so different. Cops wondered if the killer was an outsider. Someone who'd come into the village to commit the crime knowing they wouldn't be recognised. They seemed confident, cocky, that they hadn't been seen, and the village of Keyworth found small shreds of comfort in the belief that the killer wasn't amongst them. The eye of suspicion could fall outside of the village. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. It wouldn't be until the following year that police had a new tool to help their investigation brand new television show called Crime Watch. The BBC had devised a new programme which would tell the public about important unsolved crimes and ask them to help. Could the power of TV really bring about new information and solve crimes? There were mixed feelings, but the producers were confident that the show would reach a big audience and it would be an effective way of appealing for information and putting all the facts in one place. They needed a big, important, unsolved crime for their first episode, and they landed on the murder of Colette Aram. Nottinghamshire Police agreed to be involved, and in June 1984, Crime Watch aired to an audience of millions. Nobody knew what sort of response they would get. Would people pick up the phone? And would anyone have any credible information? Over 400 calls came in. Names, suggestions, tip-offs. 400 new leads, which the police now had to trawl through, prioritise and investigate. They hoped that amongst them would be the name of the killer. Local inquiries in the area had been ongoing and a long list of possible suspects was already in place. In fact, more than 20,000 people were spoken to by the investigating team. More than 2,000 statements were taken. 1,500 suspects were ruled out. It was a painstaking process, and officers vowed never to give up. But as time went on, they were running out of things that they could do. In the UK, an unsolved murder case is never closed. It remains on file, always open for the possibility of new calls and new evidence. The case of Colette Aram would be the highest profile unsolved case on Nottinghamshire books. And every once in a while, a fresh-faced detective would be assigned to look at the details and see if there was anything new which could be done. But with no new breakthrough, the police and the public started to fear that Colette Aram's family would never see justice. By 2004, 20 years after the original Crime Watch appeal on national television, the show was a mainstay in the TV schedule. Audience figures had grown and grown, and dozens of cases had been solved thanks to information which came from members of the audience. To mark the 20th anniversary of the show, producers returned to Colette's case, the first they'd ever featured. Could a fresh appeal bring the answers that had eluded them for decades? Well, not quite. But a breakthrough was on the horizon. In 2008, Nottinghamshire Police launched a DNA review of the Colette Aram case. 
DNA technology was now being widely used in murder cases and cold case investigations. And the police had the DNA from the paper towel retrieved from the U-bend in the toilets of the generous Britain public house. So they retested it and extracted a sample. Detectives had to accept that the odds of there being a match were slim. Most of the UK population wasn't on the database. Just four million profiles were there. But they'd assumed that their killer had likely struck again. Perhaps they'd committed another crime in another part of the country. Perhaps his DNA would be on file. If the profile from the paper towel matched anyone on the database, they'd have a prime suspect. But in another blow to the investigation, there was no match. Scientists reassured officers that now the profile had been gathered, it would remain on the database. If the killer appeared on there in the future, it would automatically match and let them know. It was small comfort to a team who thought that the DNA was a last roll of the dice. But there was one more thing that scientists could try. Something called familial DNA comparison. The science was based upon key parts of a DNA profile being shared with family members. DNA samples are all unique, but siblings and children will often share vast amounts of the same DNA profile. If scientists could find a similar profile on the database, it might help them narrow the search. This process, too, took time and initially revealed little. But then, just when everyone linked to the case had given up hope of a breakthrough, it arrived. John Paul Hutchinson was on his way to a 21st birthday party when he crashed his car. He'd not been driving long, and whilst there was no alcohol to explain the crash, police officers who attended the scene put it down to careless driving, and Hutchinson was arrested. He'd come through the accident with no serious injuries, and at the police station his fingerprints were taken, a DNA sample given, and he was quizzed about the crash. This was nothing too serious. Officers hoped that the shock of the incident and the resulting criminal proceedings would be enough to sharpen Hutchinson's driving before he had a more serious collision. They didn't bank on the crash helping them to solve a murder. When John Paul's DNA was added to the national database, it triggered a partial match with the presumed killer of Colette Aram. This was the breakthrough the officers had been waiting for. John Paul was only 20, so police knew for certain that he couldn't be the killer. He hadn't even been born when Colette was murdered. But they knew he was a close relative of their suspect, so they set to work investigating his family tree. And at the top was his father, Paul Hutchinson. On the face of it, Paul wasn't a likely suspect. He was a pillar of the community, a man who worked for a charity, donated his time to good causes, a respected businessman and family man. But he lived in Gamston, in Nottinghamshire, not far from the scenes of the crime. And he would have been in his 20s when the murder occurred, so Paul Hutchinson was visited by detectives. Under interview, he denied any involvement in the murder. Not me, he said. 
and the detectives had a hard time disbelieving him. They'd seen numerous murderers in their time and none had a background like Hutchinson. It was my brother, he told them. And the officers took down notes as Hutchinson pinned the blame on his sibling. But, as a part of the process, Hutchinson was asked for a sample of DNA for comparison. And when he gave it, well, it was a complete 100% match to the DNA on the tissue stained with Colette's blood. Officers learned that Paul Hutchinson had lived in Keyworth at the time of Colette's murder. He'd been on a sexually motivated rampage, looking for a victim. At the time, his family believed he was in hospital, having an operation to treat lung cancer. Hutchinson had even shaved his head to make the lie more convincing. And then, while out of sight and presumably out of mind, he committed the most harrowing of acts plucking Colette off the street as she'd innocently walked along the road and dumping her body on the edge of the village. He then tried to clean himself up before going to the pub, hungry and thirsty, before realising he'd missed some blood on his hands, cursing his own carelessness. After that, well, it seems the urge to kill had been extinguished. There was no sign that Hutchinson had gone on to do anything else. He'd stayed in the area would have seen the countless appeals for information, would no doubt have passed by members of Colette's family and friends as he and they went about their lives. On one occasion, Paul Hutchinson was even photographed handing over a cheque from a charity donation to a member of Colette's own family. Hutchinson had kept books and articles on DNA technology. He perhaps knew that science was getting ever more capable of solving older crimes. And he perhaps knew that so long as he avoided being added to the national database by keeping his nose clean, he'd never get caught. But he hadn't banked on the use of familial DNA to find a link to him via his own son. Paul Hutchinson ultimately confessed to the crime to a cellmate while on remand, and he changed his plea to guilty to the abduction and murder of Colette at a court hearing in 2009 a judge ordered that he would serve a whole life tariff and never be considered for parole though that didn't count for much Hutchinson overdosed on pills in his cell just a year into his sentence apparently unable to cope with the reality of his crime and the impact it had For more than 25 years, Paul Hutchinson had lived a normal life, thinking he'd got away with his crime. But it was thanks to the brilliant advances of science and the partly blocked U-bend in the generous Britain public house, which ultimately ensured that justice was finally achieved. Smoking Gun is a What's the Story original podcast series. It's narrated by me, Romola Gary. And by me, Tracy Alexander. The series is supported by the British Academy of Forensic Sciences. Their work supports the international fight to improve forensic techniques, to share ideas and develop the crime-solving scientific advances of the future. If you've enjoyed this episode, please give it a rating and review and help spread the word. You can listen to a new episode of Smoking Gun every week, wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you want to listen to all episodes right now, you can find them completely ad-free on our subscription channel, What's the Story Crime. On there, you'll also get exclusive access to a whole bunch of bonus interviews led by me where I speak to some of the most experienced and skilled forensic scientists from around the world and find out more about what they do. Those interviews are only available on What's the Story? Crime. There's also a whole range of brilliant true crime content all made by the same team. You can check out The Missing, with more than 60 episodes all about long-term missing people, which invites you to try and help solve the case. You'll also find exclusive series like Jigsaw, true crime investigations like 900 Degrees and incredible stories told over several parts. Whatever you're into, if you enjoy listening to Smoking Gun, we're sure you'll find your next must-listen podcast on What's the Story Crime. Signing up is really easy. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, just search for What's the Story Crime, subscribe, and you'll get all your favourite shows ad-free. For listeners on Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, or any other platform, all you need to do is click the link in our show notes or visit www.whatsthestorysounds.com forward slash crime. Your subscription helps to ensure we can keep making more of the content you love, and it costs just $3.99 per month. <laughs>